Would you praise the Lord with me right now, just in this room? It is done, it is finished. <laughs> over every circumstance, he has risen. Resurrection power over every circumstance. What a great word. You look beautiful, and uh, what an awesome sight it is to see this room full. And I hear that the chapel is absolutely full as well right now. And um, we'll just play like 100,000 people are watching online right now, too. That'd just be fun, you know. And um, it is, it's great to be able to celebrate this day with you. Such a colorful room. Wow, just all these uh, great colors in the room. And uh, it's a beautiful time of year. We miss the rain for the morning. And praise the Lord for that. And um, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I brought a big Bible today. It's a big day. And uh, I, uh, it's about five pounds heavier than what I usually use. Uh, but, uh, and I'm also reading from the New International Version in just a moment. Um, who's your biggest competitor? Uh, who's your biggest rivalry? Let's start there. Who's your biggest rivalry? Depending on kind of what age you are, or where you are in life, what community you are in, uh, those rivalries change. We think immediately of sports events and think about rivalries. And certainly uh, when we think about rivalries in our area, there's uh, Clark Central versus Cedar Shoals. Uh, there's Prince versus ACAD. There's uh, Oconee versus North. In the world of basketball, there's nothing bigger than Duke versus North Carolina. Uh, we think about rivalries like Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Alabama, the Braves and the Dodgers, uh, the Falcons and the Saints. And some people would describe in some of those homes and some of those discussions, some of these as being bitter rivalries. Uh, what about competitors? In the business world or you watch the business world, think about the biggest competitors that we know of. I think about Fox versus CNN. Uh, I think about Kellogg's versus General Mills. Uh, I think about AT&T versus Verizon. I think about the competitive the c competitors of, um, I mean, let's be honest, Bezos versus Musk. Um, you think about competitors like Home Depot versus Lowe's or uh, Ford versus General Motors, um, Bluebell versus Mayfield. <laughs> well, we can divide a room over that, couldn't we? We've got to get it back together here quick. Um, but there is a rival that's bigger than any I've mentioned. There is a competitor more hostile than any I've listed. And it is a rivalry, it is a competition that each of us, that every one of you are part of every single day. And this is a rivalry of life versus death. Competition between life versus death. Jesus spoke of this rivalry, this competition with the words when he said, 
the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. The Apostle Paul spoke of this battle of life and death when he referred to death as having a sting and the grave wanting victory. Life versus death is the competition of all competitions. It is the battle of all battles. It is the war of all wars. Sometimes we talk about Easter weekend as being the Super Bowl of Christianity. I want to offer a correction to that. There was a day in history where the cross was on Friday and the resurrection was on Sunday. And certainly on Friday, death thought he had won. But on Sunday, we know life won. And so today on Easter, looking back at that particular day in history of the cross on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday, every Easter is not the Super Bowl. Every Easter for the believer is the championship parade. It is our opportunity to announce victory, to celebrate a win. And throughout history, echoing the words like a loudspeaker at a parade, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But have you recognized how the rival of your life still fights every day? The rival of your life fights to defeat your life, to win your spirit, and to conquer your soul. There is nothing that Satan wants more from you today than your life. Sickness is diagnosed and announced to us and our temptation and our lure is, oh no, this could kill me. A situation develops in our life and we say, what if this steals my joy and my happiness? Some sin gets a foothold in your life and you say, oh no, my future is over. And what does Satan do? He celebrates. Because he thinks death is winning. But Jesus declares something different. Today I want to show you that believing in who Jesus is, the result is life wins. Life wins. In every sickness, in every situation, and even in every sin, for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is victory. Because he lives... The one who believes in him, there is no sickness that is the end. There is no situation that is the end. There is no sin that is the end. Hallelujah. The declaration by Jesus the declaration by Jesus that he is the resurrection and life falls right in line with seven statements that he makes in the Gospel of John. If you're here for the very first time, I just 
let you in on that for about five weeks we've been walking through the Gospel of John looking at these different statements Jesus says about himself. He doesn't leave us guessing. He doesn't leave us wondering. Jesus said, this is who I am. And when he declares who he is, he says it with an invitation to believe him and to receive from him eternal life that he offers. We've seen in the Gospel of John already Jesus say, I am the bread. We've seen him say, I am the light. We've seen him say, I am the door. We have seen him say, I am the good shepherd. Next week, Lord willing, we will hear him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the next week, I am the true vine. Today, right in this list, we find him saying, I am the resurrection and life. And this declaration of this truth means that life will win over death. I want to tell you a story. It's recorded in John chapter 11. It's a true story. It's about friends of Jesus. It involves two sisters and a brother. It's at a place about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It happened just a few days before the last week of the life of Jesus on this earth. And his friend Lazarus, Jesus' friend Lazarus, is sick. And the sisters get word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and they want him to come. They believe that he has the power to heal Lazarus if he would get there and he could make him well. And so they pass the word to Jesus. It gets to him and he hears that Lazarus is sick. Now, if you've read this story before or heard this story before, you know that what happens is that Jesus arrives after Lazarus has died. And he weeps with those who are weeping. And I want you to hear his words before he ever gets to that event. And it's the context of him declaring that he's the resurrection in life. Verse 1, chapter 11 of John. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's a strange way to show love, isn't it? He loves them, so he waits two days. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for there are but a world's, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
Don't you like it when Jesus just like just come right out and say it? And he's looking at those disciples and he's I'm trying to teach y'all some, trying to show you my power. Let me just be clear. He's dead. And don't you, when he said that, even as plain as that was, did they have memory enough to know that just a few moments ago, he said Lazarus' sickness would not end in death. And Jesus said he's dead. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She had some under, she had strong faith. Jesus, you do whatever you want to do. Jesus said he's going to rise again. It's almost like, well, I didn't know it would be that. She said, I know there's coming a resurrection. I, I have it in my theology. I understand that once this is all over, there's going to be some kind of event, this resurrection of the dead. I've learned that. I've been taught that. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? In that question to Martha, he is taking physical life and spiritual life and physical death and spiritual death and he's moving them back and forth to prove a point, to make a lesson, to teach that he's the resurrection in life. And when he says, the one who believes in me, the one who believes that I'm the resurrection in life, they will live. That means for eternity, they will have eternal life. Their soul will go on. There's heaven ahead for them. It says, even though they may die here physically, a, de a death, but there is more. That's not the end. And then whoever lives by believing, whoever it is that believes in Christ as Lord and Savior and lives for eternity, here's the truth, it is for eternity. In me, they will never die. And so he's showing that to believe in him is resurrection and life means that you get a life that never ends. When you think about life and death, I think from time to time of those stories that you hear where someone says, we had this glorious opportunity to just be together when my loved one died and we were all singing hymns around the bed and we were just singing and they just went on to glory right there. And I think when you take what Jesus is saying here about being the resurrection in life, to sing just, just to sing the first verse of when we all get to heaven means to end your breathing here and open your eyes there and it's like heaven just says verse 2 death becomes a door of the eternal life that Jesus is talking about here what resurrection in life what does that mean how could he teach and know that that this sickness would not end in death yet Lazarus died physically 
Let me make some statements about what Jesus knew about resurrection and life. Number one, Jesus knew that he is the resurrection and life. He was not guessing at it. He was not shooting from the hip. Jesus was declaring. He was, he was living it out. He was believing. He was operating just in everyday life and circumstances knowing that he was the resurrection and life. And you see this how? You see this in how Jesus did not panic in the face of any circumstance. There was no gripping anxiety for him in the face of any situation. In the face of Lazarus being sick, there was not hurry. There was not rush. There was no panic when the disciples pressured him, when Mary and Martha pressured him, when the crowds pressured him. There was no panic in Jesus. He knew who he was. He knew that he was the resurrection and life. Was he numb to circumstances? Absolutely not. In this very story of the death of Lazarus, even knowing that he was the resurrection and life and what he would do, there is that verse that we all love saying we've memorized a verse. It's that shortest verse, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. That verse, Jesus wept, was in the context just a little, little bit later in this chapter where he saw the emotions of the crowd. He saw the hurt and pain of Martha and Mary at the death of Lazarus. And it says that he was moved with emotion and Jesus wept. I think it's such a great picture to us as we walk through this life that we will feel the pain of this life. We will feel the pain of earthly death. We feel the pain of suffering and the emotions of that. But there is a deepness to our faith that is available because of resurrection and life that we don't have to panic. That we can face death with a different kind of confidence than the world who grieves without hope. And Jesus is living this out. A few years ago, my best friend, David Landreth, was diagnosed with colon cancer. And he died with colon cancer. I remember where I stood a few years back in my kitchen right at the edge of the den by the rail when David called and I answered. And he always called me Dr. Sibley. And, uh, he, he, and even before I, I was. And he just, he said, Dr. Sibley. I said, hey, David. He said, Carlos, I just got back from the doctor and I'm calling to tell you that I've been diagnosed with a rare form of colon cancer. And it's the kind of cancer that unless there is a miracle, it'll kill me. And I just listened. I was like, wow, David. He said, but I'm calling to tell you, regardless of what happens, yet will I praise him. And for the next two years, he lived with that beautiful glory. I remember hearing the story of his friend, Jeff Lovingood. And Jeff was telling me, he said, I'd sit beside David's bed and David had lost his taste. And, uh, and he would say to me, hey, Jeff, I want meatloaf, potatoes, and green beans today for lunch. And Jeff's thinking, he can't eat. He can't even taste. And he would go to the cafeteria. He'd go to the, the store where it fixed those things and he'd bring back meatloaf and potatoes and green beans. And Jeff said, I would sit there beside him and I would eat it. And I would tell him what it tastes like. He said, David would just smile and say, oh, that's good. That's so good. You know what that is? That's a picture of someone 
where knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and life had cemented his faith. Jesus knew that he was the resurrection and life. Secondly, Jesus taught that he's the resurrection and life. He's addressed as rabbi in this chapter. Later, uh, Martha would refer to him as the teacher. And knowing that who he was, he did what any good teacher wanted to do. He wanted to do his work. He wanted to teach that truth. And he taught what he knew because he wanted others to benefit from the truth. And when he was interacting here with Martha, knowing that he was the resurrection and life, he taught her in this moment of everyday life, of Lazarus being dead, he said, I want you to know I am the resurrection and life. And Jesus wants you to know today this. We'll all walk away from this morning, from the chapel, from this room, from watching online, and say, I went to church on Easter there's something bigger than checking the box this morning it is believing that Jesus is who he claims to be and he claims to be the resurrection and life he wants you to benefit from that truth he wants you to know him third Jesus not only knew he was the resurrection and life not only taught he's the resurrection and life Jesus also demonstrated that he's the resurrection and life and it, like he does in these other I am statements, Jesus does a miracle in everyday life to teach us an eternal truth. And when it came to the resurrection in life, he demonstrated that he is just that. Look in verse 28. After she had said this, he, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She saw the power of Jesus up into the point of death. And believe that Jesus could do something, but that it in, in her in her faith where it was at that moment, that was as far as Jesus could go. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You see, their limits. They, they saw him heal the blind. They saw him feed the 5,000. And now it comes to death and Jesus is outmatched. Now it, it, there's no hope. But Jesus demonstrates who he is. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What had Jesus just done? Jesus knew he was the resurrection and life. He taught that he was the resurrection and life. And he said, let me show you I'm the resurrection and life. I think I wonder, so why, why this story in there? We know this morning we're celebrating a resurrected Savior in Jesus Christ. And we say, wouldn't that be enough? But doesn't somehow this story fit into Jesus being raised to life? We might look at Jesus today if we knew that he was the one that was raised to life and say, well, of course he was raised to life, but where does that leave me? And this story fits in the story of resurrection life by telling us not only does he have the power to raise himself to life, he can speak to you and call you out of the grave and raise your life back to life. That's what he does. And he demonstrates here that he is the resurrection and life by bringing Lazarus back from the dead. There's an account, just a little bit of a side note, in chapter 12 In verse 9, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. This was post-resurrection of Lazarus. It says, They came to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. I just think that's the funniest statement. That they... I mean, Lazarus is like, been there, done that. I, I was dead, I, so you're going to kill me? I, I, likely is, I'll just come back to life. I mean, that, it's just that this it's funny that he thought that they could kill him. And Jesus, he died, he raised him back to life. Here's the fourth thing. Jesus knew, Jesus taught, Jesus demonstrated, and now Jesus lived the resurrection in life. He lived the resurrection in life. That's why we're here today. That's why we're here any Sunday. Because Jesus faced death and rose again. Apostle Paul said our faith would be futile if he had not been raised from the dead. Jesus born in Bethlehem. He made an appearance at the age of 12. Then he kind of disappeared from the public scene. He shows up around the age of 30 and he starts doing miracles. The very first one, changing water to wine at a wedding. And then he performs all these signs. And the Gospel of John tells us that all the books could not record all the things he did and said. And here as he goes through these three years, about age 33, we get to the major part of John. Most of the Gospel of John covers the last week in the life of Jesus' 33 years. And in this last week, first day, he rides in on a donkey and what we call the triumphant entry. We call it Palm Sunday. The people welcomed him into the city. He soon would overturn the tables in the temple. He would begin to teach and teach and teach about the kingdom of heaven. Then he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He would predict his betrayal and his denial by Simon Peter. And then he would be arrested. He would be flogged and beaten. And he would be nailed to a wooden cross. And it would be dropped in the ground. And on Friday, he would die. On Saturday, he's in the tomb. He's buried. We call it the day of silence. But then on Sunday, early in the morning, 
Women go with prepared spices to finish taking care of the dead body. And they arrive at the tomb, the Gospel of Luke tells us. And the angels say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Do you not remember what he told you before he ever died? He's alive. And they're there celebrating now, running, trying to make it all fit. And all the things that he had taught and said to them, miracles like raising Lazarus back to life, begin to gel and come together. And they remember what he said. And what had Jesus just done? Jesus had lived the resurrection and life. Think about that journey. 30 years, then all of these public appearances, all these miracles filled with prophecies. You know what happens in a locker room with uh, uh, an upcoming rivalry game? You got people out there, maybe it's a GA, maybe it's an intern. They're out there reading everything published in the whole year that could be put on the locker room wall, that could be posted on the bulletin board. And it becomes motivation for the opposition. Oh, we heard you talking. We'll see you on Saturday. If we could personify hell and the enemy. You see how much locker room material Jesus gave the enemy? Jesus said, you destroy the temple, and in three days I'll build it back. Jesus said... I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life and I will take it up again. Jesus said, I will be arrested and crucified. And on the third day, I'll rise again. And don't you know on Friday, the enemy, full of glee, when he heard Jesus declared, it is finished. And he took his last breath and hell celebrates. But on Sunday, Jesus rises again. And I just picture in my mind all of hell walking back in and seeing all of that bulletin board material. Yep. Just like he said, he rose again. Hallelujah. He's alive. Now here's the fifth thing. Jesus knew, Jesus taught, Jesus demonstrated, Jesus lived the resurrection and life. And here's the fifth thing. Jesus offers resurrection and life he says to Mary he says to Martha I am the resurrection and life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die and here's his question it's the question to you today it's the question to you in the chapel today it's the question in this room today do you believe this I'm taking the words of Jesus, and Pastor Carlos is saying to you, do you believe this? Teenager, do you believe this? College student, do you believe this? Senior adult, do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and life. And the truth is, is that if you would receive him today as resurrection and life, if you would believe he died and he rose again, and he wants to give you that life the Bible says you will have it the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved 
synonymous with you, you will have life eternal. Do you believe this? I've tried this week just back and forth and just just in a uh, wrestling with, with this truth that Jesus said, I'm the resurrection in life. I'm the resurrection in life. How, Lord, and just said, Lord, how do we say things like that? What, I, it would be one thing to say, I can give you resurrection in life. Uh, I, I, if you, but he says, I am resurrection in life. And here's where I landed. Last weekend, a lot of you watched the Masters. You know that it's played at Augusta National. Imagine today the masters saying to Augusta National, I am Augusta National. If you don't play the masters at Augusta National, there is no Augusta National. The master says, I am Augusta National. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. And what he's saying is, if I'm not the resurrection and life, there is no life. There is no resurrection. There is no hope. But because I am the resurrection and life, you can have me, which means you can have life. And for everyone who believes, no sickness is the end. And no situation is the end. And no sin is the end. Because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and life for all those who believe. Amen. Now listen, listen. Do you believe this? I want to ask you in the chapel right now if you'd bow your heads. And I want to ask you in this room if you'd bow your heads. And this is just to create kind of a personal moment between me and you and the Lord. And I want to ask you, have you believed? If you have believed, then that's why this day is so glorious. If you've not believed, you can believe right now. At 8 o'clock this morning, about six people raised their hand believing that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and life and we're saved. And I wonder in this room or the chapel today, if there's somebody that might lift their hand as a testimony to me, to the Lord, saying, I want to be saved today. Here's what you would do. You would pray right where you're seated and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you died to pay for my sins. You just pray that right now. I believe you died to pay for my sins. And I believe you rose again. And today, I want you to be my resurrection in life. I want to follow you with all that I am. Just pray that. And again, the Bible says, confess with your mouth, he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You say, Pastor, I'm doing that right now. I'm praying. I'm receiving Jesus. For the very first time, 
I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. He is my resurrection in life. I want to ask you, I can't see in the chapel, but would you lift your hand just as a testimony to the Lord, as a testimony to yourself here in this room right now. Would you lift your hand? The pastor, I want you to know I just prayed and I'm receiving Jesus Christ today as a resurrection in life. I'm asking him to save me. Just lift your hand up right now. That's all, that's all. I won't call you out. I won't call you forward this morning just to show hands. Let me see your hand right now. Slip it up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? From the top? Amen. Amen. From the top? From the floor here? I'd love to know about it. The connect card that you have is there around you. You can mark on that, write on that what has happened today and drop it at the connection boxes on your way out or hand it to me on your way today. Let's stand together. Let's celebrate in a closing song what Jesus has done in giving us life. Let's sing together. Guys, lead us.